Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, and thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've been watching on today's program. We're going to dig into the market, seeing a bit of a rebound here in the soybean trade. Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Research and Analytics will join us in just a moment. And then in segment two, it is, folks, the first Wednesday in the month of March, which means it's another monthly grind with our friend from the National Corn Growers Association. We'll be looking ahead to Commodity Classic here in segment two. Before we focus back on the cattle industry in segment three, Leah Biondo, Senior Vice President with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, will be joining us. They had several members present at the Ag Outlook Forum here in this past week. They're talking about what policies they'd like to see brought to the world of cattle production, folks. But before we get into all of that, of course, we've got to dive into these markets. And it's always nice to start with a bright spot. Mike Zuzel, there's a little green on the screen here in the soybean market after a tough couple of days. Are we just getting to the bottom here of this trend channel? You know, I think we are in an environment, Mike, and thanks for having me back. I think we are in an environment where we could be talking about market capitulation. And, and what that means essentially is kind of an exhaustion phase of the current price trend. And it's really based upon the idea that the price action is so extreme that you can't catch a breath. And in this case, the longs in the market are just essentially throwing in the towel at this point and, and really a psychology comes about in the in the market where the mindset is is just taking over and saying just get me out I can't take any more between the margin calls and just not catching a break and you know that's really one of the hallmarks of a capitulation is the market doesn't really accept any news contrary to the current price action and that further frustrates the loser on the on the side of the position and and the other I can I think hallmark that is important to talk about and mention is that capitulation if it's if it's actually happening um, it's usually the kind of the death knell of that current price trend and you tend to really turn very very quickly and so if i'm correct about this maybe being capitulation especially in the wheat with five straight months down in hard red wheat and fresh 17 month lows in soft red wheat um, then we should probably see that by the end of this week Mike, given the fact that it has been a five month stair step down in well across all these classes of wheat are we close to the end of that capitulation or are there still plenty of longs that need to get out of this market? Yeah, I think that's where it really gets tough because we're we're blind on the commitment of traders report. You know, the last we have is February 5th and in soft red wheat, which I classify kind of the leader in terms of the wheat complex and in kind in terms of the overall sentiment of how the market views commodities in general, because wheat and copper and you know, we made new 2023 lows in gold and, and Dow Jones futures and wheat last Friday and soft red wheat last Friday. So we've really nailed the, the soft red wheat down hard at this point. But kind of to answer your question, commitment to traders, we don't know what it is. And so that's kind of a blind spot right now. Um, I think they're probably as net short as they were back in 2019 because we were getting closer to that, Mike. I think the other thing comes back to the deliveries. We did have another 234 contracts of hard red wheat deliveries this morning, 580 contracts of soft red wheat. Those are big enough probably to keep some pressure on the market. But 
we have not turned and batted an eye with those crop conditions in Colorado, Nebraska, and especially Kansas, all worsening in the month of February versus January. We haven't priced that in at all. Mike, you, of course, in Atchison, Kansas. Talk to us about conditions down there on the ground. Are they as brutal as they appear from afar? Well, we're kind of like last year right now, Mike, heading into spring. We're going to start some field work very soon, I, unless we get a rain uh, system developing that comes in every six, seven, ten days. But northeast Kansas, like last year, is getting more rain than the rest of Kansas. And so we just got a fresh inch plus this past weekend. That really saved us because we were getting to the point it was getting very, very bad and very, very dire. Um, central western Kansas not getting nearly as much as they need and their drought conditions actually worsening as we start to warm up here. We're breaking towards 70 degrees day after day here. Um, we're probably not going to get cold enough to take the uh, wheat from getting in, uh, getting out of dormancy and breaking free of dormancy. So I think both from a standpoint of essentially I-70 from Kansas all the way over to Illinois, clients I'm talking with uh, in soft red wheat country, they're all greening up at this point. So early freeze, March freeze would do, I think, significant damage to the wheat crop because we are breaking dormancy pretty early for this time of year. Indeed. Uh, Mike, as you mentioned, those deliveries coming in, we've also had some deliveries against the March corn contract, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And that came on the heels of a new E15 announcement by the EPA. They're proposing expanded E15 of gasoline in Midwestern states, Mike. We were hoping that they would do it this summer of 2023, but the proposal and the rulemaking is not until uh, summer of 2024. So between the heavier deliveries of 352 contracts last night and this news, the market's having to digest a little bit more of a negative bend. I still think though, at the end of the day, the wheat market controls the corn market, especially with the wheat down to around 55, 60 cents premium to the corn. It's it's now a feed grain essentially on paper. And I think Asian customers are now starting to buy wheat for feeding of livestock. So I think the corn market's really looking at that right now. Well, if they're looking at that, I imagine the, the trend would be to the downside if we continue to see wheat uh, takeovers for livestock rations. Mike, what are you watching for a resistance level in the old crop corn market? Yeah, I mean, the resistance level, we'd need to get back up above that 635, 640 area to, I think, cover shorts and run some uh, buy stops out of the market. On the downside, and this is why, you know, I'd encourage your, your listeners to uh, get on the website and take a look at my recent analysis. This is why I designed overvalue and undervalue levels, Mike, is to kind of get a gauge to what's too cheap. In other words, USDA's got an average cash price of weed of eight fifty. Well, we're anywhere from a dollar to two dollars below that in hard red and soft red right now. So, why would you want to sell any cash wheat given the fundamentals? But having said that, we're on some pretty critical support lines pretty critical technical levels we really don't want to take out. So I'm really relying heavily upon that capitulation coming in by the end of the week. All right. So we're watching these market participants potentially capitulating. We've got this big harvest coming out of Brazil. Mike, have we heard any snags getting that product out into the export market? Not too much. We heard it. We heard a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but right now it seems as though the rains are abating enough that they're keeping the supply chain going. Uh, late, latest numbers from Conab is around 35% harvested in beans versus 42% a year ago. Mato Grosso is up to upwards of 80% at this point, and the Safrina uh, corn uh, sowing is now up to almost 50%. But I would say anywhere from 20 to 40% is going in two weeks late plus 
uh, in the top three provinces, Mike. All right. So we've got that corn coming in late, that dry, wet season still in place for now. We'll see how long it continues into this spring. Mike, with that big safrina crop coming, are you getting aggressive on old crop corn sales? Well, no, I'm holding pat. What I'll do is probably go after paper positions like May or July puts in both corn and beans, Mike. I think that the, the, the cash market still has a lot of potential to the upside because I do think that the USDA in their ag forum last week said, look, our numbers in Argentina are higher than the private trade guess, essentially because we didn't think the drought would go on through February. So our numbers are as of early February. That was a key point to me to say, maybe we've got another report or two coming where we see a lower crop out of Argentina. All right, we'll keep an eye out, folks. That's Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Research and Analytics. Stick around, it'll be the monthly grind when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection. 
which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and welcome back to AOA. It is March 1st, which coincidentally falls on a Wednesday, which means it's the first Wednesday of the month, which means it's time to sit in with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association for another segment of the Monthly Grind. Joining us for today's conversation, we've got Troy Schneider, Colorado Corn Grower, Chair of the Market Development Action Team. Troy, thanks for joining us today. Mike, it's always good to be with you, and thanks for having us here on the Monthly Grind. You bet. We're also excited. We've got a new voice on the monthly grind. We've got Janice Hiley with us here. She's an Indiana corn farmer, serves on the Indiana Corn Marketing Development Board, and is on the Market Development Action Team here with Troy. Janice, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Glad to be here. Well, folks, we are getting excited. Just about one week from today, we'll be in Orlando, Florida for the Commodity Classic 101. Janice, for folks who aren't familiar with Commodity Classic, can you fill us in on some of the details? Sure. Like you said, next week, March 9th through 11th, uh, will be the Commodity Classic. This year, it's being held in Orlando, Florida, and we're at the convention center there in Orange County. At the convention center, and of course, for folks who maybe haven't even heard of the Commodity Classic before. What's the purpose of this get-together? Janice, what's going on down there in Orlando? Well, I think it's one of the biggest uh, events that it happens annually, and you have so many different uh, ag groups represented there. We have National Corn Growers, the American Soybean Association, the National Association of Wheat Growers, the National Sorghum Producers, as well as equipment manufacturing. So such a such a big, broad group of people that are involved in the agriculture sector. Absolutely. Coming together from across the country to set priorities and help map out our industry's path into the future. Janice, NCGA will have a booth at Commodity Classic. Can you tell us where you're going to be? Sure. Um, our booth uh, is at the trade show floor and just amazing place to check out, by the way, if you're in town. And we're in booth 1603. In booth 1603, folks, on the trade show floor, if you're a corn grower, you're going to want to stop by because, Troy, you're going to be doing some cool things at Commodity Classic. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've got planned there for the event? Well, Mike, as the producers come on into the trade show floor we're going to be there in the center stage uh, the center doors as one of the main sponsors and on thursday and friday uh, jesse allen that you and you work with jesse we're going to be having him there at the trade show floor at, at booth 1603 from three to four we're going to be on his market talk program we're going to be discussing trade uh, things that are going on such as the mexico gm gmo free decree and other topics um, that will be relevant to the corn farmers. And then um, on Thursday, we're gonna, at that same booth from one to two, we're gonna have a roundtable discussion 
you're going to help host that with Jesse. And then we're also going to be joined by a special guest from NCBA. Uh, NCBA's, own, NCBA's own Kate Maher will be joining us. And we will be discussing different things that partnerships that national cattlemen have with the National Corn Growers Association. So join us there at uh, booth 1603 on the trade show floor. Those partnerships are so crucial for these commodity organizations and the ability for Commodity Classic to grab, uh, for the most part, all of the leaders of the different organizations, put them in the same room, allows that sort of conversation to happen. Troy, as you think about some of the partnerships that NCGA has been a part of over the past years and what's coming, what do we have to look forward to? Well, one of the biggest highlights here with market development that we've been able to have the last three years is we've partnered with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association to sponsor their Cattlemen's Education Series and and Cattlemen to Cattlemen on RFD TV and on their YouTube channel. And what we've done there is we went out to Nebraska two years ago and on the first show and filmed at a feedlot, explained the, the integral parts of corn being fed to the cattle on the finishing product. We went to Certified Angus Beef out in Ohio the second year and explain the value added and you know what certified angus beef brings to us in this last year uh tom Haig, don sheeple myself we talked about in new orleans the port of new orleans the exports with usmef with uh, dean meyer from usmef and the exports and what it brings back to the corn farmers so it uh, the value there the dollars per bushel that you know their product helps bring to us and it's all about you know, cash flow and bringing that profit back to us. It is indeed bringing that profit to your operation, stick it in your back pocket, helping grow it. That's what it all comes down to. And that's how these partnerships can work. Janice, as you think about what's going to be happening at the booth there at Commodity Classic booth 1603, folks, if you're down in Orlando, we want to see at the NCGA booth. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of those discussions that are going to be coming. We'll have those roundtables. Troy mentioned some of those issues. What are some hot topics you're hearing about, Janice, from other Indiana corn farmers? Uh, definitely the uh, Mexico, the GMO issue of them uh, with the decree on uh, not wanting to purchase this, you know, American corn. Uh, definitely, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a hot topic. But uh, on a funner note, the National Corn Yield Contest, uh, that, that's always a big thing for corn farmers here in Indiana. We've had some winners in the past. So, Definitely uh, an opportunity to celebrate as well as talk about uh, concerning issues. Janice, I'm so glad you brought up the National Corn Yield Contest. Of course, that will be under discussion at Commodity Classic as well. Are there any meetings for that uh, down at the event in Orlando? Uh, that That's a great question. I'm going to refer to Troy on that. Troy, uh, are you aware what we have on the docket for that other than announcing the winners? Well, we'll be announcing the winners. We'll be having the awards banquet, I believe, on Friday night with the reception. And then tying back in with our NCBA partners and Cattlemen to Cattlemen, uh, while Kate Maher is down there, we're going to be talking not only to corn producers, NCJ leadership, market development action team members, but we're also going to be talking to the winners of the National Corn Yield Contest. So they'll be on... Um, RFD TV with, you know, NCBA show Cattlemen to Cattlemen. So that's a good way for us to explain and to showcase our sustainability, our productivity, and our commitment to feeding and fueling this world that we live in. 
That is a great commitment to have. Keeps us all fat and happy, and that makes me happy, I'm proud to say. Troy, as you think about the work in this year ahead for the Market Development Action Team, we've talked in the past about some of the challenges and the opportunities ahead for agriculture. As 2023 has come more into focus, what issues is MDAT going to be looking at closely this year? Over this next year, we're going to be looking at sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, we, we all hear that buzzword. We know that we have a market out there that wants to use sustainable fuel. How they're going to produce it is the key question. Whether they're going to make it out of an ethanol product, how they're going to go. We have to have those discussions because they're learning just, as, just like we're learning about different things. And so the key there is communication, communication, communication. Then Janice talked about, you, you both talked about the Mexico decree. Uh, sometimes in market development, the D doesn't stand for development, it stands for defense. And we have um, people in this world that don't want to accept the good science that has, that has helped us feed and fuel this world for a number of years. It's safe, it's abundant, we need to use it. And then we will be also looking into at market development just the new usage uh, usage we will have consider corn challenge four coming up here and uh, you know we've had three of them so this it's a, a program that we sponsor at market development to have people come in with new ideas of how to use corn how to how do you know uh, you know we've had a baseball booth down there in uh, at the trade show before and i don't know if we're going to use the baseball booth again but we can't all have home runs. We gotta have the, those base hits to keep moving the players around the, the field. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that next idea that, you know, whether it's in plastics, straws, whatever you wanna call it, how do you make that out of biodegradable? How do you make it out of corn that's biodegradable? That's right. How can we replace some of the petrochemical-based plastics with a bio-renewable product that's grown right here in the U.S.? Certainly a worthy goal. Janice, if we've got listeners who are tuning in now, maybe making plans to get down to Commodity Classic, where can they learn more about what NCGA will be doing at Commodity Classic? At Gore at the trade show floor in booth 1603, and we, we'd love for you to stop by. Absolutely. Yep. Folks, Troy, before we let you go, any other thoughts listeners should have in mind here while Commodity Classic approaches? I would say with everything that's going on, whether it be with Mexico and their decree, whether it be with uh, year-round E15, I'll just ask all the members out there, get a hold of your congressional leaders, your congressmen, your senators, tell them how important things are, whether it be the Mexico decree, having USTR and USDA fight that or whether it's year-round E15 sales. That's what it's all about, folks. This has been The Monthly Grind with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Our thanks to Troy Schneider and Janice Hiley for joining us today. Stick around. We're talking cattle when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. 
Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade starting off the month of March, we saw plenty of technical chart damage done to the soy complex on Tuesday. Soybeans, though, meal trying to bounce back here today, while cord and wheat are little changed, just kind of mixed there. With soybeans, old and new crop, able to stop the bleeding a bit early here today following the Tuesday beatdown. We saw active May futures plunge nearly 34 cents and 83 cents in the past five days. Soy products, especially bead oil, are higher as well to begin Wednesday trade. May beans closed on Tuesday at the lowest level so far for the year. The bloodbath was precipitated by the advancing harvest of Brazil's record large soy crop, which has already seen roughly 50 million metric tons of beans harvested. Now, the plunge came despite the still pessimistic outlook for Argentina soy crop, and we'll be seeing what happens as we get more reports on that crop in the weeks ahead. Tuesday's meltdown was technically inspired with ultra-long funds in both soybeans and soy meal choosing to lighten the load. We're starting to get CFTC data to catch up, and that's going to be a factor here in this trade as well. Again, quarter wheat relatively quiet here. Really, uh, we've seen all the technical selling there already, so maybe we're trying to carve out a new bottom end of a range, especially in the wheat markets, we'll have to see. But overall, again, fairly quiet trade to start off the day on Wednesday, start off the new month. Stock market is quiet as well. The Dow just a couple of points higher with crude oil down about 50 cents a barrel throughout much of our trade so far. Livestock cattle futures trading their way up moderately here as we wait for more cash cattle activity this week. Seen some light activity in Iowa, but that's not setting the trend for the week ahead. Meantime, hogs, some pressure there, down triple digits at a few of the deferred contracts as we work through trade on this Wednesday. That's a check of the markets here on AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome to the 
week in Washington, D.C. was the Ag Outlook Forum from the USDA. We spoke with Arlen Suderman about their grains outlook, and we talked with Jackie Fatka about the policy outlook. But what we didn't talk about last week was the discussion around beef, protein, and cattle markets that also took place at the Ag Outlook Forum, and I figured it was time we do that. Joining us today for that discussion is Leah Biondo. She is an executive vice president at the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. She was at the Ag Outlook Forum and USCA past president had a chance to present. Leah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the big overview. When it comes to the beef and the cattle market specifically at the Ag Outlook Forum, Leah, what was the tone of the conversation in D.C.? You know, I first want to say this is my first Ag Outlook Forum that I've been able to attend, and it was incredible um, to see everybody in person again the past two years. At least they've had this as a virtual forum. So the energy in the conference room in the convention center was really something else. And so this um, panel that we had our past president, Dr. Brooke Miller, participate in was hosted by USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service. And we were um, really excited to have Andy Green, who's the senior advisor for fair and competitive markets at USDA moderate the panel. And the topic was, of course, increasing consolidation in the meatpacking sector. Um, Of course, as I just said, our past president was a panelist, but we also had um, the Oklahoma Secretary of Agriculture, Blaine Arthur, and then the owner of a small meat processing company in Ohio, and that was Katie Kramer, um, who owns heard well. Uh, definitely worth checking out on social media if you haven't. But the the panel discussed some of the, oh, the um, inadequacies, I should say, of the beef supply chain that were really highlighted by COVID. And so they explored that a bit more. And the end game, of course, is always to be able to increase opportunities for our independent processors and producers to survive and thrive. And we've seen USDA rolling out a lot of funding over this past year in order to help those independent meat processors uh, continue to stay in business. Leah, is that something USDA will be pushing for as 2023 comes deeper into focus? Yes, you know, it was... um... Quite, uh, quite something to be at our annual meeting in Nashville this past year. The our, our processing committee actually revised some of its policy that we already have on its policy book uh, because USDA's implemented some of that policy. So it's always good to be able to go back and look at your past goals and and check them off the list. So the funding was one thing that we had been pushing for. We're now seeing that the Biden administration's pledged up to a billion dollars to tackle the issues within the meat processing space. And so that was something that we were able to cross off our list. And so we're going to continue to push for um, increased funding, but more so increased um, opportunities for our independent processors to um, experience success in their business. That might be introducing legislation where they can ship their products across state lines. That might be um, something like the Strengthening Local Processors Act that was introduced recently, where there's funding to get more people into the meat processing pipeline. So funding for technical and vocational schools. Um, But we're really looking forward to to seeing what, what the future holds for independent processors. It is certainly going to be interesting to watch. As you mentioned, those four folks, Leah, that were on the panel, obviously Dr. Brooke Miller, past president at USCA, decrying the amount of consolidation in the meat industry. Was there anyone defending the current industry as it stands today in the panel that uh, you were a part of? 
Oh, that's a great question. There was not anyone defending the way that the industry is currently set up. Um, we had our Oklahoma Secretary of Agriculture who talked about what they did in her state to, again, open up that supply chain. We had Katie, um, again, who's the owner of that small processing facility in Ohio, talk about how consumers are increasingly wanting to know more about where their food's coming from and how she is definitely um, willing to, to cater to that demand. She did say there are some challenges, of course, though, in getting local beef to local consumers, namely educational ones. She's had consumers come into her shop and wanting to buy a ton of ribeyes. And as you, as I, you and I know, Mike, um, there's only so many ribeyes you can take off of one animal. So she's had to steer them towards um, additional cuts and additional preparation styles. But she said that's almost the fun of it, um, is being able to educate more consumers on how they can can better support their local processors and producers. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear consumers are out there asking questions, trying to find ways to, I guess, maximize their protein dollar. But Leah, as you mentioned, education, it doesn't just happen at the consumer level. It happens in Washington, D.C. And of course, that education process, those Farm Bill Committee meetings are just getting started. We had one earlier this week. Uh, what was USDA's take on the discussion there at the House Ag Committee? Yeah, so I was on the Hill yesterday um, to talk or, or to sit in on the House Agriculture Committee hearing. It started at 10 a.m. and Mike, it didn't get over until about 3 p.m. That was an almost five hour discussion on um, not just the farm bill, but how inflation is impacting producers across the U.S. Um, inflation, of course, is one of the top topics covered, but they also um, talked a little bit about some farm bill priorities and some other priorities that are coming down the pipe here. Um, the National Chicken Council mentioned the GYPSA rules from, from back in the day. Of course, um, they're going under a new name now, Farmer Fair Practices Rules. So these rules would um, give our, our independent producers uh, more negotiating power when they're faced with anti-competitive practices in the marketplace. So, you know, the National Chicken Council has historically been very opposed to, to any sort of updating or change in those regulations. But the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, we support the new USDA rule that's coming out or the proposed rule rather. And um, that, again, would just give uh, more leverage to producers when they're up against these uh, processors and, and up against these anti-competitive um, buying practices. So, that got a lot of airtime yesterday in the House Agriculture Committee, and we're going to continue to follow up as those conversations uh, unfold. Leah, as you mentioned, that Farmer Fair Practices, as it stands right now, it is just a proposed rule. Is that right? Do we know when the final might come out or the rulemaking might actually get started? You know, we don't know exactly when those uh, timelines are going to be. The, the rulemaking process historically is one that's pretty onerous, so we... Um, are, are watching for when that rule comes out, but we don't have that exact timeline yet. All right, we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Leah, as we think about the cattle industry over the past couple of years, it has been buffeted by an enormous number of forces and we've got producers looking all different ways in terms of policy, but recently we saw all the major cattle organizations come together to support the rounds tester bill to ban Brazilian beef imports, USCA amongst them. Can you tell us where does your support for that bill land? Right. Can you believe it, Mike? All three of us agreeing on one subject. This should be an easy win for our regulators, for our lawmakers. This is something that USCA has been calling for since 2017 when the Brazilian beef import ban was lifted. 
Um, and it's just, we don't quite know exactly um, when or how Brazil communicates um, to the world what's going on in their food system. We know that they've reported an atypical BSE case in the past week. Now, atypical BSE, that's spontaneous. That's rare. It could happen anywhere. We totally understand that. But what's concerning is we don't know exactly when that BSE case was uncovered. And we know in years past that, you know, we found carcasses with BSE in them in Brazil. And so that means that that animal's been dead for a long while. And, um, authorities hadn't relayed that appropriately. So Brazil is just a, a bad actor in the global marketplace, whether you're talking food safety issues, whether you're talking animal health issues like foot and mouth disease, um, or whether you're talking environmental concerns like deforestation of the Amazon rainforest. Um, there's also forced and child slave labor concerns in Brazil as well. So there's plenty of reasons to halt the importation of Brazilian beef until we further understand these concerns, which is what's outlined in that test rounds bill. It would establish a working group to identify these concerning areas um, and hopefully find ways that we can either fix or improve, or if it's not something that we can do to um, indefinitely halt the importation of beef from Brazil. Right. Lots of fixes have been tried over the year, but they can't seem to get that reporting onto a timely basis. Leah, as you mentioned, everybody on the cattle side's in favor of this. You were on Capitol Hill yesterday. Do we hear any outspoken opposition to the ban on Brazilian beef imports? Do we think this can make it across the finish line? Ooh, we haven't heard any outspoken opposition on the Hill to this Brazilian beef ban. It would be great to get some more support for it, of course. Senator Chester and Senator Rounds, huge um, champions for the cattle producers in their state and across the country. But um, we need more support because we were hearing from the administration that currently they just don't have any grounds to halt the importation of beef from Brazil. And, um, you know, while we, we understand we can't go around kind of um, capriciously and arbitrarily shutting down our borders to other countries. Um, we do, re we, we would um, encourage the administration to kind of look at protecting the health of the domestic herd and protecting the health of our consumers too. So um, the opposition isn't quite coming from the Hill so much as we're hitting that um, point up against um, administration officials who kind of say that their hands are tied on this issue. Well, uh, Leah, before we let you go, M. Cool made an appearance in the public discourse again recently. What'd you learn there? Oh, an unsurprised or a surprising advocate, I should say, Representative Lauren Boebert out of Colorado, bringing up mandatory country of origin labeling in a congressional hearing yesterday. Um, we were very surprised to see uh, that that make an appearance on the House floor. And we look forward to working with Representative Bober for her support of mandatory country of origin legislation that's already been introduced in the Senate and the House. So um, that's a bipartisan bill that we hope we can get her support and others on because it would reinstitute mandatory country of origin labeling within the year of it being enacted. All right. Things to watch. That's Leah Biondo from the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Stay tuned for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? 
When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. 
The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on. And we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. With the month of February in the rearview mirror and the commodity markets closed for that month, now we can know the spring reference price for corn, soybeans, and wheat for that revenue protection crop insurance. Taking a look at the numbers for this year, folks, they're a little lower than they were spring reference price last year. Of course, February 2022 was when Russia invaded Ukraine. Definitely gave a little bit of boost to crop insurance in this last year. This year is a little different. Prices are still elevated from a historical perspective, but they're coming down slightly from last year with one exception, and that's corn. Last year's reference price for corn spring price was $5.90 per bushel. This year, it's $5.91. In soybeans, however, we did see a big drop in the price. Last year set a record spring reference at $14.33 per bushel. This year, it looks like a so bushel of soybeans will be insured for thirteen seventy six. Wheat market also down slightly from last year. Last year's price was nine nineteen. This year's spring reference price for wheat Chicago eight eighty seven per bushel. Sorry, that's spring wheat uh, eight eighty seven per bushel of spring wheat. We've got those numbers out now. Plug them in. See how they work in your operation. Taking the focus back to Washington D.C. Leah Biondo there at the U.S. Cattlemen's Association did a great job discussing the House Ag Committee hearing that happened yesterday. National Chicken Council spoke. We discussed several of the issues, inflation, a number of factors moving agriculture. WOTUS, Waters of the U.S., was also raised in the context of complex permitting and how these WOTUS, NEPA, the National Environmental Protection Act, can slow down permitting processes for ag businesses. Well, WOTUS also came under fire on Tuesday, not just in the House Ag Committee, but in the House Transportation Committee. And in fact, there was a vote on WOTUS and the House Transportation Committee passed a resolution calling for the most uh, the repeal rather of the most recent WOTUS Act from the Biden administration. This uh, this uh, WOTUS rule was released back in December 2022. The Transportation Committee has voted 30 to 22 to call for the repeal. It's noted they can't repeal it. It's not a law passed from Congress, but they can basically call for the repeal, and that's as far as they went today. So we'll continue to see more action on the waters of the U.S. case. We are expected to see that case uh, come from the Supreme Court here later on this year, likely 
Mar or April or May, rather, we will hear the Supreme Court's decision on that Sackett versus the EPA case, which proponents are certainly hopeful will give us some clarity when it comes to the waters of the U.S. law. We've got to pick up at another point. Mike Zuzalo mentioned it early in the program, and this is an EPA proposal to expand higher ethanol gasoline sales in the Midwest. We've talked about that a lot on this program. Eight different states across the Midwest have said, look, if the EPA is not going to allow us to sell E15 to our citizens, we're going to go ahead and do it. And so they sought a waiver in order to allow E15 sales year-round in these eight Midwestern states. EPA has been uh, weighing these decisions and earlier today proposed a rule that would allow higher ethanol blends in those Midwestern states. That's a win for ethanol. But the wild card is that EPA says this change isn't going to take effect until the summer of 2024 which is a year later than most ethanol proponents were expecting. Happening right now in Orlando, Florida, is the National Ethanol Conference. Our friends from the Renewable Fuels Association are pretty booked up putting that event on. No doubt was a factor in EPA's decision to release this information today. But as I understand it, what this proposal does is tells the industry if we are going to have E15 sales over the summer, it will have to be through an emergency declaration like it was in 2021 uh, last year when uh, President Biden allowed for year-round E15 sales. I imagine we'll see the industry push to get them allowed this year on an emergency basis while fine-tuning the rules for that 2024 rollout for expanded E15 sales. We will be talking to our friends at RFA to get further details on this as they free up from that National Ethanol Conference. Wanted to look around the world because global factors obviously impacting agriculture still to this date. Two huge countries we've discussed a lot in the past year. China and Belarus, not necessarily Russia, but Belarus, of course, a massive fertilizer producer. It was announced yesterday that Chinese President Xi Jinping and Belarus are working together to promote, quote, the healthy and stable development of bilateral relations at the highest level. This is the first time we've really seen China take an interest in Belarus, no doubt, as China looks to firm up their domestic agricultural production. They're looking for additional sources of fertilizer. And of course, Belarus, one of the leading exporters. Now, whether or not Belarus is, has a way to get that fertilizer through Russia, through its closed borders and on into China remains to be seen. But this discussion or this play by China certainly chimes in with what they've uh, been saying over the past year. Xi Jinping has mentioned several times that focusing on agriculture will be a key facet of this new term that he's in his third consecutive presidential term. We've seen the Chinese uh, purchase Syngenta, potentially looking at a an IPO for that later on this year, and the approval, most recently, of eight different GMO crops in that country all speak to the fact that China is looking to make a move when it comes to agriculture. As Mike Zuzalo also mentioned earlier, conversations are focusing on what can we expect to see production, wheat production, come out of Ukraine. The Russian army has been pushed back through lots of wheat growing region there in Ukraine. Will those farmers get that crop in the ground? Well, survey says likely not. What? farmers are finding as they're returning to their operations across Ukraine is that not only have the physical uh, assets been destroyed, tractors, burns, wheat crops stolen, silos destroyed, etc. They're also finding mercury and other heavy metals in the soil. And this is widely spread across the breadbasket of Ukraine. This longer term 
could be a factor that hamstrings Ukraine's wheat production for years to come. So far, 10.5 million hectares of ag land across Ukraine have been degraded. Uh, that's about 21 million acres. That's a big number. Certainly will have an impact long term. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk policy with Josh Bakey from Farm Progress. We're also going to get a look at the dairy industry with Tanner Emke, dairy economist with Tobac. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar, and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.